With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Stick to Football Friday. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Matt is on vacation, a much-deserved vacation, but I'm not alone. Mello is with me, and we are going to have some fun, so sit back, relax. Mello, what's going on, dude? Man, I feel like this is the show that the listeners have been waiting for, just the two of us here. You don't have to hear Matt's humble brags. It's just me and Connor today. No, we are going to have some fun. We are going to talk some shit about Matt, but not too much shit. But we are also going to talk about a lot of football. So we got our top five players under 25 years old. So they have to be not 25, but under 25 years old. Me and Melo had some fun with this. We made different lists. So you will get 10 different players on this. We're going to do a ton of draft on draft questions because we really miss doing that. And you guys have been sending in a ton of great questions. So we're going to get through a lot of those But before we do that, let's start with what's going on around the league. A pretty big bomb drop late in this week. Telvin Smith announces he will not play football this year. I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars knew this, though. Mello, what was your first reaction to this news? At first, I wondered if there was like a suspension coming down that we didn't know because I was in school all day. I did not hear about this. Uh, for forever until I saw it in the rundown today. And I wonder, like, what what is the cause here? I mean, he's a fairly young linebacker still, and it doesn't sound like the Jaguars knew at all. It sounds like they were just as surprised as I was. Uh, but he says he's got to get some stuff right with his life, which I completely understand because post-draft, I feel like mine is just hectic right now. So oh my God. I get that he needs to get uh, everything right in his life and maybe take some time away from football. It sounds like maybe he's only going to miss one year and then try to come back for 2020. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, he's in his prime. He's, you know, 28 years old and still has guaranteed money left on that deal that he signed, that extension, which was for really big money at the linebacker position. So it's interesting to see him step away right now. But of course, you got to put everything in your personal life before football. So I, th- I hope people remember that here. I do find it interesting, though, that the team's statement really led on that they hadn't talked to him about this yet. And this is a team where, let's be real here, obviously they drafted Josh Allen, who we've talked about can do a lot of nice things playing off the ball, but and even Quincy Williams, Quinton Williams' brother. This puts a lot of pressure on those, not just Josh Allen, but also Quincy Williams to kind of be productive linebackers from day one, right? Yeah, and I think it also it hurts Miles Jack, too, who's really going to have to step up and do everything. I mean, this was a very good linebacker tandem, and now with Telvin Smith out of the picture, Miles Jack is also going to really have to step up as as well as those other guys that you mentioned. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. It's just it's surprising. It's unfortunate. So hopefully he can get back on the field very soon. And we were not done there with guys stepping away from the game, not really just this year, but what seems like you know, for the long-term future here in Seattle with Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor. 
I don't think we're very surprised by Cam Chancellor. It seemed like, unfortunately, this was always coming. Doug Baldwin, we had heard some things around the draft, but I'll say this. Richard Sherman no longer there. It is really a new era besides Russell Wilson sticking around in Seattle now. I mean, he really is the one guy remaining from those great Pete Carroll days at the beginning. Uh, Him and Bobby. That's it. Right. And who knows what's going to happen with Bobby Wagner and how much time he has left in Seattle. But these two guys retiring, the Doug Baldwin kind of surprised me when we heard it during the draft that he was thinking about retirement. Cam Chancellor, um, that body has just taken a beating over the last couple of years. I think it's going to be really hard for him if he were to come back to sustain that kind of athletic ability and that style of play that he's always played with. It's just after so many years in the NFL, that's got to be hard. So might as well walk away early while you still can walk away. It's really interesting. You look at this Seattle receiver group, and this is something that we would talk about on our show because it has a big you know, draft correlation here. They now lose Doug Baldwin, who has been Mr. Consistent in that wide receiver group. They have Tyler Lockett there. They drafted DK Metcalf, who is extremely talented but has had injury concerns of his own. They also have Gary Jennings there now. This, once again, like Jacksonville with their young linebackers, now you look at Seattle and you're going to have to get some production out of these rookie wide receivers. Yeah, and I think there's a reason they drafted DK, and it was so they could kind of develop him alongside Lockett and, you know, with Doug Baldwin. Now he might have to just step up and play day one as a starter, and I don't know if he's ready for that. Yeah, they have an interesting offense here. We know Russ is great. You hope the offensive line can at least hold up a little bit, but can Rashad Penny stay healthy in that backfield? Can DK Metcalf not only stay healthy, but be productive right away? It really is a new era in Seattle, and for a team that proved a lot of people wrong last year, including myself, they're going to have to continue this youth movement. And obviously, even that front seven, there was some news there, uh, signing Ziggy Ansa, and they drafted LJ Collier in the first round. It's just really wild to see such a different Seattle team right now. Yeah, because even for me, when I think of the Seahawks, it's still like the Legion of Boom guys, and they are none of them are there anymore. So it is going to be weird to see Seattle take the field this year. I know that Russell Wilson's still there, and he's kind of the face of their franchise anyway. But other than that, it's all new ball game there in Seattle. The fans definitely had some turnover. On to something fun. The House of Highlights fake draft prospect special. I'm not sure if everyone saw this. I know you and I were talking about it off air. Basically, House of Highlights, which is a Bleacher Report uh, owned and operated social page, brought someone down to Nashville during the draft. Deuce Dominguez. He was six foot six, you know, kind of similar build to a, a young offensive lineman. And in this 11 minute video, nearly everybody they run into in the video is fooled that he was a Packers first round pick. Melo, you watched this, right? Oh yeah. I loved every second of it too. I'm, it was unbelievable. I'm upset that they beat us to it. This would have been a great stick to football video, but they beat us to it. So you got to give them credit on that one. It, it was, <laughs> I just can't believe the thing that confuses me is like, I would understand if they were like, Hey, he got drafted in like the sixth or seventh round. Exactly. Like, oh, like, but they said he was, in the first round. Yeah, they're taking him around like Thursday and Friday night saying like this was a first round draft choice. And that's when it blew my mind. It's like somebody in this bar wearing a Packers shirt or hat has to recognize that's not the dude you drafted at number 30 overall. No, I, I, like I get it. If you're a casual fan, you might not know a left tackle from Boise State, but you've got to know who your first round pick is. I know you had two of them, but you have to know who your first round picks are. And that just floored me that he's introducing himself to all these people 
and no one in Nashville that is just flooded with fans of the NFL and the Green Bay Packers. No one even thought to question it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he said he was taken 30th. The Packers traded that pick. Yeah. (laughs) They they moved up to 21 to take Darnell Savage. So, like, if you watched any of the first half of the first round as a Packers fan, you would know that they made their two picks. I, I just... Couldn't how, believe how how, how drunk, many guys. Yeah, how drunk right? is everyone in Nashville to be like, oh yeah, we did have the thirtieth pick. Sounds good. We needed a lineman. All right, Deuce Dominguez from Boise State. <laughs> Sounds great, man. <laughs> Best of luck to you. <laughs> if you did like, if you listened to the a mock draft Monday once, <laughs> you would know that there is no Boise State left tackle even projected in the top three hundred players. Right, of we, this entire thing. Yeah, we did like. Two rounds of mock drafts and his name never come up. I I think we nailed at least every first rounder that happened. I think from now on, mock draft Mondays, we just start sliding in some guys that are fake. Just like, oh, okay, I need to go watch more tape on that guy. And then no one can find it except for us. I actually really like that. Every time we do a mock draft Monday, there's one fake prospect. And whoever (laughs) catches it first gets like a sweatshirt or like some kind of giveaway. I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, so. at least some koozies or some bracelets that we have laying around here. Yeah, <laughs> the leftover scraps with the old logo on them. <laughs> yeah, all the old t-shirts. that we, I don't even know where they are, but I'm sure we can find them. All right, as promised, our top five players under 25 years old here. We are going to go from five to one. As I said in the beginning of the show, me and Mello have completely different lists. So there's going to be 10 total players here. But Melo, I'm going to let you kick it off here. Who's number five for you? And we are starting off at number five. So I'm going to go with a rookie pass rusher who you guys talked about on the midweek show had a very sneaky good year, uh, especially for being very young. Bradley Chubb coming in and having 12 sacks. I know that he plays opposite of Von Miller, but having 12 sacks in the NFL is very difficult to do. I don't care who you line up with. I mean, you look at the Bears defense with Khalil Mack. Nobody else had that kind of production there. So Bradley Chubb is looking like a guy who is going to be another elite level pass rusher. It just sucks for me that the Denver Broncos have two of them. So number five for me, I'm going Bradley Chubb. He's an exciting player. And one of those guys that was coming out and just seemed so pro ready. And it it kind of translated. He had a nice stretch in the middle of the season where, I mean, he was having double digit sack games and Denver, they have a lot of pieces on that defense, but really they loaded up on the offense in this draft. And I, I think they're doing a lot of good things right now. If they could just hit on a quarterback, if Drew Locke can be the guy they believe and develop, they're going to be fun to watch. Number five for me was on the other side of the trenches, Quentin Nelson. I mean, this dude is one bad MFer. It's crazy. He's only played one season in the NFL, but he was pretty nearly dominant as a rookie guard. And he kind of changed the identity in the face of that Colts offensive line. And it's insane to think he could be even better this year in his second NFL season, leading the rushing tack, uh, keeping Andrew Luck, hopefully, you know, upright this year, not in the dirt. So Quentin Nelson for me is is truly it's hard to have a franchise changing guard. But if there's anyone in the league right now that's very close to it, I think it's Quentin Nelson. Yeah, and I think you and Matt were high on him before anybody else, and I even questioned it. Like, this guy's a guard. You're going to draft him top 10 or maybe even top 5? Like, you guys are crazy. I was wrong. He is amazing. I think he came in, and obviously he was an all-pro. I think he might be the best guard in the entire league already, and he really helped change that offense. And if it weren't for Quentin Nelson, I don't think we see a guy like Chris Lindstrom go 12 overall. I think 
he really brought the value of the guard back up to, you know, probably heights that it's never even seen before. It seems like there is a trend there. I mean, and I'm with you, too. I actually really struggle with the thought of taking a guard in the top 10. But I guess it's, you know, situation based here. Like the Colts were a team that Andrew Luck coming off missing so much time. They had to invest in elite offensive line talent. And he simply is that. And I think getting Braden Smith also made it a lot better when you have better tackle play on the outside. So, I mean, just a really exciting player. Melo, who you got for number four on this list? Number four, this guy is still 24 years old, at least until October. I'm going with Jalen Ramsey. I think he's a true shutdown corner. We talked about the Jaguars a little bit already. I love what he can do. Uh, I think that he is one of the rare guys that are still left that can shut down one side of the field. You talk about like him, Patrick Peterson still out there. I love Jalen Ramsey. I wish that he would be traded. I know that there were rumors about that. If he would have landed in Kansas City, I would have loved it. But for the Jaguars defense, what he brings to the table there is exceptional. I love his talent. I love his persona. Jalen Ramsey, still under 25 years old somehow. It seems like he's been in the league for forever. I think he's one of the best corners, though. I was going to say, that's crazy that he's still under 25 until halfway through the season. At a position like that at shutdown corner... It's so rare. I feel like a lot of corners really, and Denzel Ward was kind of, and Jair Alexander, they had really good rookie seasons, but it seems so rare for a corner to come in and and be good right away. Yeah, I mean, that's a very tough position. I've always heard the further you get away from the ball, it's harder to come in and really excel, especially like when you get out there at receiver, all the route trees, and then trying to shut down these talented receivers at corner, especially some that he has to face, like Hilton, all the time. That's a tough job to do, and he's done it every year he's been in the league. Speaking of those talented wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster is number four for me. This one might shock you. Melo, he is not turning 23 until the end of November. Gosh, and he's already a pro bowler. He's been in the league (laughs) two years, and he's younger than some of the rookies that are coming in. It's crazy. He's 22 years old. He's coming off a season where he had 111 catches over 1400 yards and seven touchdowns. And I know basically whatever receiver the Steelers touch turns to gold. And it's going to be interesting to see how he does without a B across from him. But Juju is the real, real deal. This guy is exciting. He's productive great work ethic. Everybody loves him as a person on and off the field. So it's really amazing. When you look at the, and this is going to sound crazy and maybe it is because so much could happen. When you look at the way the league is trending, the offense he plays in, and it'll be interesting for life after Ben and that he's 22 years old. He's the type of guy that can finish with potentially in the tops of all time for receiving yards. Yeah. Like he set, he's set up for that. I agree with you too. And I know that it's going to be difficult with losing a B who has been a number one target, but now he's going to get those number one targets. Now he's going to be the primary guy. And I, you can, you know, celebrate the year he had last year, but he wasn't the number one target and that's nothing against Juju Smith Schuster, but A.B. was the number one guy. So now seeing all the targets that he's going to with Ben Roethlisberger and really being able to develop that relationship of, okay, I'm your go-to guy now. I I mean, he's probably going to go over 100 catches this year, and you're right. Whoever the Steelers draft at receiver, they're just going to be good. Even if they are you know, a 20-year-old in the second round, they will develop into an all-pro type talent. 
Speaking and, and that'll of, be your guy from Toledo this year. Oh that yeah, next I love her up. <laughs> they they keep drafting my favorite receivers. Like I love James Washington out of Oklahoma State. I really like Juju, and now they bring in Deontay Johnson. I really like their receiving core. I wish I liked Ben Roethlisberger more than I do because I really like his receivers. <laughs> Same. I'm up again, Same. though. Number three for me, I got to get this guy. Saquon Barkley, just 22 years old, coming into his second year. I really feel for him. I wish, I hope that they can surround him with enough pieces on that offense that we, they don't just run him into the ground because I do think he's a very special running back. Came in one rookie of the year. He's 22 years old, six foot, 230. The biggest quads I think I've ever seen on an athletic person. One of the best running backs in the league. There are a lot of them, but he is definitely near the top. And maybe by the, fun, the end of this year, he will be the best running back in the league. Yeah, there's a chance that next year he's the consensus number one guy on this list above all. It's going to be really interesting when you look at how special of a player he already is. And he's coming off a rookie season. He's somebody who it, this is what's crazy I mean, he just turned 22 in February, and the numbers are just going to be through the roof. I, I, for his sake, hopefully he's not Barry Sanders in oh. terms of the team he plays on. Yeah. Hopefully he's Barry Sanders in terms of the talent. That's that's so. probably a pretty good comp for like career path. If they don't, oh. if they don't write the ship there in New York, and I hope they do. I'm not trying to Me hate too, on the for, New York fans. No, <laughs> no, for him. Hopefully for his sake, they do. And he might be good enough to just make things work on his own. Number three for me, Darius Leonard. I'm going back to the... It's crazy. The Colts got two guys on my list in the same draft. I can't even pretend that I was a big Darius Leonard believer before the draft because I did not think he would be a second-round pick. And now this guy is an all-pro player, which it's also hilarious that I believe he wasn't a pro bowler, but he was an all-pro. So right, yeah. that really that makes a lot of sense. I don't know right? how, so, the fan ba- how fans let that happen, but you're right. The guy wasn't a pro bowler, but he's one of the best linebackers in the league. Yeah, it's a, it's a system error, the way the pro bowl's done. But, I mean, you talk about 163 tackles, seven sacks, four forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, two picks. The production is unreal. And then you see the type of talent he is on the field. It's also just unbelievable. So Darius Leonard... Interesting. He he's a little, you know, was a little older for a rookie. He'll turn 24 this summer, but he's still obviously eligible for this list. And it's okay if you're a little older for a rookie when you're that damn good. When you come in and you're an all pro, I don't think they give a shit how Doesn't old matter. you are. Like you can be <laughs> a 26 matter. year old rookie. If you come in and you're an all pro, they'll take that every day. I really like that pick with Darius Leonard, and I wasn't a big fan of him either. I really didn't even know much about him when he was drafted uh, out of South Carolina State, but he has come in, and the Colts have set themselves up very nicely with two All-Pros on your list that they drafted last year. I'm going to go with another running back who right now I think is maybe just a little bit ahead of Saquon Barkley, but Alvin Kamara is one of the most dangerous offensive weapons and I say that because he does so much more than just run the ball. Him out of the backfield catching the ball or they're lining him up at slot. I don't even know how you defend this guy. I don't know if you can put a corner on him. Linebackers obviously can't keep up. You'd have to bring your safety down. He's only 23 years old. He's going to turn 24 in July, and he's already tearing up the league. Him and Drew Brees are a very special tandem. I would love to have Alvin Kamara on any of my teams. He's a special offensive player. I mean, he really is. The The energy he's given that Saints offense, along with Michael Thomas, has been a blast to watch. And, you know, no uh, no Mark Ingram 
there anymore. So he's going to really be the guy. It's kind of that situation. And I know he has been, but I think there's going to be even more expected of him this year. And it's, it's going to be really exciting. Number two for me is miles Garrett. I mean, he's averaging double digit sack seasons now with over 20 sacks in his first two years, 13 and a half this year, seven as a rookie, this player on the edge. I mean, he's just the man. It's simple as that. And we got a lot of questions this year. Hey, is Nick Bosa as good or better than Miles Garrett? And I pretty much answer like Miles Garrett was a special prospect. When you look at the size, the athleticism, everything about him. And we saw that translate already. I mean, year two to have 13 and a half sacks. And it sounds like he didn't really love the way Greg Williams was coaching him. So maybe he'll be even better this year. It's it's crazy to think that. But you want to talk about somebody who, I mean, can really be the next Julius Peppers of this decade. It's Miles Garrett. Yeah, I really like Miles Garrett, too. Even though he's like an A&M guy, he plays for the Browns, and I don't really like their quarterback. I really like him. I loved watching him work with uh, Willie McGinnis. I think he was on Hard Knocks. And just you can see him absorbing everything that he has to say. So if the Browns are going to turn into the Patriots like Odell Beckham once, he is going to have to be that Willie McGinnis type. And you know what? He might be even better. Yeah, I mean, he he really might be better. And he's going to be the guy on that. It's interesting with him. They have such an interesting dynamic in Cleveland because he might be the best football player on that team. And we never hear about him ever. No, never, never talking to the media or causing any disruptions, anything. But, he, you know, he goes in and he gets his job done. Just like the next guy on my list, it's Jared Goff, who is also under 25 years old. He will not be 25 until October 14th. So he's just 24 years old, and he's already led his team to one Super Bowl uh, in electric offense. And I know that a lot of people like to say that Sean McVay is to take credit there, and he can take some of that credit. But Jared Goff is also a very good quarterback who has already done exceptional things in his young career so far. And I don't think we've seen his best. I think he's still developing. He's obviously still under 25 years old. Very good quarterback. Maybe even, uh, you know, one getting up there towards the top level. I don't, I'm not going to put him with Breeze or Brady or, or Rodgers yet, but this young group of quarterbacks is still very good. And I think something we don't talk about enough is that he's a different quarterback when Cooper Cup is on the field. He really is. And I think Cooper Cup coming back and he's hopeful for a week one return, so we'll see. But Cooper Cup being back at some point this year, we'll get Jared Goff, you know, back to the the steps he was taking. My number one, and we're going to share it. Let's just be real. Yeah, let's I think be Mello, honest. <laughs> Mello didn't, probably didn't want to talk about the Chiefs too much, but you're out of your fucking mind if you think Patrick Mahomes isn't the best football player under 25 right now, because he simply is. 50 touchdowns, 12 picks last year, over 5,000 yards. He's not turning 24 until the middle of September. So after the season starts, Mello, take the floor. This is the stick to football number one player under 25. Years I old. think even if we took away the age restrictions, I I think he would have I'm to be top two. It. I mean, I can argue for Brady because of the Super Bowl rings. But if I'm starting a franchise right now, you can keep Tom Brady. I'll take Patrick Mahomes. And that's not as a Chiefs homer because I know a lot of people hate that we talk about him so much. I wasn't a Chiefs fan until I just decided like this year. So I'm not even going to be like, oh, I've loved him forever. I haven't. It's just special to watch Patrick Mahomes play. And he plays in my backyard. So I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and ride it out because he's probably the best football player in the league right now. And I'm excited to see the quarterbacks this year because everybody is obviously on the Mahomes hype train right now. I'm not even going to call it a hype train because it's just real. 
Like, there's a difference to me. Obviously, Brady's still Brady. I think we're going to see a pissed off Aaron Rodgers this year. I, I really do, do. Like, he hates when the spotlight is taken off of him. Yeah, and now that they have some kind of help with that defense, got some offensive line guys, and I think you're right. I think that we're going to see that like fourth quarter Hail Mary type Aaron Rodgers every Sunday. The guy's just going to go play with his hair on fire. All right, Connor, it's time to get back on the ship with Draft on Draft. We neglected this segment for a while, so we wanted to make sure that we hit them up. Uh, Our first one from the Framiac, Framiac, that's a tough one to say, but I got it in there. Who do you think from the 2019 draft class would be fun to have as a teacher, and who would you never want? <laughs> That's a good question. So uh, Teacher Appreciation Week, I got to fire this one off. And who do you think would be best and worst student in the class? I will tell you, the student that I would love to have and I think would just be a ton of fun from the 2019 draft class, it has to be Quinn and Williams. There's no other answer. I would love to have him as like a little, I teach fifth graders, little 11-year-old in my class. I couldn't get enough of Quentin Williams. I would talk to him all day. I probably wouldn't even teach, just letting him sneeze and watching him, you know, say bless you and thank you. I could watch that GIF uh, like a hundred times a day. He's the most smiliest prospect or person I have ever seen. Like I've never seen someone always smiling. It's actually hilarious. Like when he sacks someone this year, and you just see like the smiling braces through the, <laughs> the new Jets helmet. It's unbelievable. And another shout out to Mello here for Teacher Appreciation Week. Uh, obviously, we, we've been having some fun. I'm glad that everybody's getting in on the fun here. This is a great question. Who would I want as a teacher? Man, probably your boy, Foster Moreau. Like he seemed pretty cool on the, on the interview. Yeah. Who would I, you know what I mean? Like at least he he's a cool guy. Is what he is. I feel like he wouldn't, you know, bust your balls too much if you like didn't do your homework or he'd just be like, come on, man. And he was just so put together and professional already. Yeah. (laughs) Most organized lesson plan of all time. Yeah. Foster Moreau. Yeah. I'll tell you, the guy that I would not want to have in my class would be Kyler Murray. I feel like I was going to say Kyler. (laughs) He would sign up for my class and then after like two weeks, just be like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to take a different class. I don't really like this football class anymore. (laughs) I'm going to go back to baseball class. And then he would come back to your class or like, (laughs) it turns out I'm really good at your class. I'm going to stay here. Remember when he did the interview? For Gatorade during Super Bowl week, who was yeah. it? Isaac? Dan Patrick, Dan Patrick, maybe I forget. But either way, he was not interested in talking at all. No, and I feel like you would like call on him to answer a question, and he'd just stare at you. Ah, those kids are the worst. Like you're trying to yeah, keep their yeah, attention, you, and you call <laughs> do you do on that? them. Yeah, and then it's just blank stare. It's like, all right, do you know what I'm talking about? Should I give you time to answer? And that's what Dan Patrick or, you know, whoever it was, they had to do. It's like, does he know what I'm talking about? Is he going to answer? Should I give him more time than nothing? That's the worst thing as a teacher to have in your class. So when you do that to a kid, do you try to walk them through the answer? Or do you go on to ask another kid? Dude, it depends on the kid. Like if I, if there's a kid not paying attention and you do the typical teacher thing, like I'm going to call you out because I know you weren't listening, and they don't have an answer, I will wait till it's almost painfully awkward sometimes. Like, okay, <laughs> so you weren't listening, and now everybody knows. And I call and then they'll be embarrassed. Shirt. Yeah, <laughs> so you better learn Which next time. good. Yeah, but then other times, if it's like a kid who really is just struggling, yeah, you'll walk them through it and try to kind of lead them to an answer. Or I even let them ask for help. That's like something they can do if they if I get called on 
and they don't know the answer, they can ask one of their classmates for help because I'm not trying to embarrass, you know, 99% of them. Of course. Every once in a while, though, you just got to, you know, take your medicine and get called on when you're half asleep. The only time I ever hated when teachers did that was in Spanish class because I would pay attention, but sometimes I just simply wouldn't. It was hard. It was really hard. And then you sit there and you're like, no matter how long we sit here and I think of things, I don't know how to say it. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know you asked me what I wanted for lunch, but all I know how to say is, can I go to the bathroom? So what do you want me to say here? We had to take Spanish here. It's a requirement. I don't know if it was for you. you Spanish or French for us. You had to pick one. We only had the Spanish option here, but you had to take it as a freshman. And I had knee surgery my freshman year, and it's already, it's a foreign language, so I was struggling, and I sucked at it. I cheated from a foreign exchange student, which sounds like normal, right? The foreign exchange student was from Germany, though, but she already (laughs) spoke like four languages, so picking up another one was nothing for her. By the time the class was finished, she could speak Spanish fluently. So I cheated through Spanish by cheating off of a German foreign exchange student. Pretty interesting little story. Yeah, that is. It's crazy when you like leave the U.S. or you meet people not from the U.S. and they all take multiple languages. It makes you feel like we are so, so dumb. I mean, I've tried. Like As an adult, I, I listen to Spanish tapes. Like I try to learn... Uh, when I went to... Before I went to France last year, I, I tried to learn basic French. But like, it's something that if you're not really young when you start it, it's three times as hard to learn it's right. so hard to learn so yeah that's it in america we we half-ass a second language sometimes so all right at do a barrow roll that's pretty good i guess his name's barrow can you give insight into how you guys see other players when you're watching a different player i find myself tunnel visioning on the specific prospect i'm scouting and i don't really notice anything else it's something i want to get better at are there any tips Uh, For me, you know, just I watched Jordan Love a little bit today and I watched him against Michigan State and I I was watching the TV broadcast. I just went pulled it up on YouTube real quick because it's quick and easy that way. And then I noticed an edge rusher coming through a lot and he wasn't even getting sacks, but he was making pressure. And then before you know it, it's like, okay, let me pause and go back a rep and see who the edge rusher was. And it was Kenny Willekes, who we've talked about before. So he just stood out. So I just patriot. Yeah, I would just make a note on that. Like, okay, I need to watch number 49 of Michigan State or find out who he is, and then I'll go back. I'm not, like, diving in deep. I get tunnel vision, too. A lot of times when I'm trying to watch offensive linemen, I find myself following the ball and watching the quarterback, and it gets hard. But I just look for, like, if they stand out to me for, like, one or two plays, I'll make a note of, like, I need to go back and I need to look and see, is this a prospect or did he just have a flash in the pan with a couple plays or a good game? Yeah, it's interesting. I look at that. I find it funny that do a barrel roll was asking like how to get better at this. I actually don't like that my attention span wanders like that. Right now, if a guy makes a phenomenal play, I I Google their name so I have the name, the number, what they play, what class they're in. Because usually they're obviously you hope they're an underclassman so they didn't like graduate and you just never <laughs> they didn't do anything else. Um, when you look at it, yeah, it's, I mean, the, I usually hope they're going to be really, really good for that to happen. So tunnel visioning on a prospect is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you, I mean, yeah, when you see a splash play, that's kind of like you said, Mello, time to rewind, time to look back and, and just kind of mark them down and, and you'll revisit that game another time. 
Yeah, that's the way I do it. Uh, next question at W underscore M underscore Martin. Who do you guys think wins the Pac-12, Big Ten, and Big 12 this year? Oof, man. I I mean, when I look at the Big 12, I'm I'm sorry, Melo. I'm not picking against Oklahoma this year. I'm just not. It, I mean, it's, it would it, be. It's because of Lincoln. Right. You know, I'm not even like a big Jalen Hurts believer. I, I love C.D. Lamb. I just think offensively they're so good. So, so good. The yep. Big Ten, I mean, I'm still kind of buying that Ohio State stock. What about you? <laughs> I agree with you, and it pains me to say it, but I do think Oklahoma's going to have a very good season, and I am not going to be fooled a third time by downing Lincoln Riley. I am going to just say that I would bet money Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman. I don't know if he's going to be the first pick in the draft. That one I'm still a little leery of, but I would not be surprised if they had their third Heisman winning quarterback. I mean, he's just too good. And Texas, I hope they can compete with Oklahoma, but I think OU is going to win the Big 12, and I'm with you in the Big 10. I think it's going to be Ohio State. I know that Day is a new coach, but I think that there's enough turnover coming back with that team, enough skill positions with J.K. Dobbins, and then you add fields. They are going to be a very tough team to stop. They have exceptional players on the defense, too. It's so much more than Chase Young. That's a good, complete team in Ohio State. You talk about the Pac-12. I actually think Oregon has a very good chance with Justin Herbert coming back. They're going to get Jawan Johnson, the Penn State transfer. They've got a very good offensive line, still have some good solid pieces on defense. And if they can get past a Utah in the South, who I think is going to be very good, I think Oregon can win the Pac-12. Here's my Pac-12 hot take that I will probably get roasted on at some point in, in during the season. Jacob Eason will be better than Justin Herbert this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would not surprise me. I know right? a lot of people will come out and say that he's nothing and he hasn't even been on the field. But when he was on the field and he was healthy, he looked very good. He was the number one recruit in the nation for a reason. And if he weren't hurt, I think Jake Fromm would probably be playing quarterback at some other school because Jacob Eason was very good as well. Yeah, he would have been the next <laughs> the next Georgia transfer because there's yeah. been plenty of them. And it's funny. We're talking about these guys. Yeah, you go back to Justin Fields. I mean, him and Ryan Day, that can be some special stuff there. And I think the most important point that you made is that they have the defense figured out. Like, there's just studs across the board there where in his first year as the as the head coach officially, he won't have to worry about that as much. So it'll be it'll be tough to pick against them. It really will. At Jubair22, what the hell do I do between now and training camp? <laughs> Maybe the most general question we've ever had on stick to football. Yeah, man, I would love to tell you to stick to football, but I really enjoy watching baseball. I'm kind of even getting into the NBA playoffs now. Go check out one of those because baseball is a great sport that you can kind of casually watch. You don't have to watch all 162 games and you can keep track of how your players are doing. I love just sitting down and watching baseball while I'm doing something else, or I'll just hone in and I'll watch the game. I love watching baseball. So that's what's getting me from through now to training camp. I'm with you all the way. I get home from work. I turn on baseball and sometimes I'll make some food or I'll do some work or just bullshit on my phone for a while. But I could just sit there and have baseball on and I'm good. Like I'm comfortable. I don't need to do anything. And I mean, man, we got two months here really without football like two and a half months here 
it's going to every year we blink and it's here and you got to stick to football three times a week. You don't have to worry about that shit like it's not going anywhere. So it's I mean, we always act like it's like really tough to get through this time of year, but I feel like it goes by so fast all the time. Oh, it really does. I mean, once OTA start, it's pretty much back full blown go for the NFL. I mean, and that's going to happen before you know it. By the end of summer, it's like it's football season. End of July. You just have to make it May and June. Once we get into July, things will start ramping up and we'll do previews. And I think a great place to do that is by listening to Stick to Football because we have you covered three times a week. Our guy Tyler Warden here saying, Desert Island question. You can bring one former football player, one current football player, and a videotape of one football game. Who and what are you bringing? I mean, the game for me is very easy. I'm going to go with the Texas National Championship. You have I honestly think that that is the best football game I've ever watched. And I know that I'm probably biased, but I've also had other people that aren't even like college football fans say that that's the game that made them fall in love with college football. I don't think you can get any better than that hype leading up to it. And then the final, you know, series with Vince Young. I For me, that's definitely the game. Picking the players might be a little harder to do. You're going to like mine. I, I'll bring the the Boise State Statue of Liberty game with oh, me. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I can get on board with that. Yeah, you like that one. That <laughs> one was so ridiculous at the time. Bring one former football player. Oof, that is hard. Like, am I trying to survive here? Right, that's yeah. A, that's the question I'm, I'll tell I'm you. playing with. I'll bring Brett Favre. Oh, that would be a good one. I would yeah. love to just sit around and bullshit with Brett Favre about everything that he's seen in the NFL and everything not NFL-related as well. Plus, if he's got that dog, I want to pet the dog. And think about how far he just you could just throw on the beach until you just die of starvation <laughs> yeah. at that point. He's just, just running nine routes down the sand. <laughs> he could throw die. coconuts at coconuts to knock them over. Like That's a survival thing, too. Oh, if man. I want to have a good time... I'm going to take Gronk with me, though. And he is a past football player. He's retired he now. So if you just wanted to party your ass off for like three days and then die on this deserted island, I would take <laughs> Gronk with me. And, you know, probably pair him up with current player Tom Brady. I would take those two guys, and I think we would party until we were just dead. That's a good move. That's a really good move. Current player's tough for me. I don't know. Once again, like, if, my, I, if I wanted to have fun... Damn, I don't even know. Current players hard. There's is, how many like really fun players? Well, they're not allowed to be fun. That's the problem. Right. Like, like the league just shuts it down on how yeah. much fun you could have. Man, because yeah, the actual I, players know the background. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy would be fun to have or this guy would come help me. We used to ask this question all the time. Like, oh, this guy was a survivalist. I would take him from my locker room. I might bring Baker Mayfield just because he would try so hard to survive to prove Colin Coward wrong <laughs> that I believe we would have a chance. Like he, this man would do anything to make it back to the United States <laughs> right? to prove Colin Coward wrong. He would have a boat built in like three hours with Colin's Easily. face on the front of it. Just like we are getting yeah. back to land. Yeah, yes. I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, like his face, his face photoshopped onto a donkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Christian Campbell wants to know who could this year's Quinn and Williams be in the 2020 draft? Any position, just somebody with not a lot of playing time, but this is going to be his year to start and shine. That's so hard because 
we didn't even know who Quentin Williams was. Right. He was, year. I mean, he was really nothing. So I don't know that there's, uh, that's mean, hard to predict. It, the, on, the honest answer here that isn't exciting because if you listen to the show, you know so much about him already without him playing is Justin Fields. Like yep. that's who he's the guy that hasn't played and is going to start and is probably going to shine in that offense, in that system. He's a great player. I mean, that's the the obvious answer to me. Yeah, for me, I would go with Tariq Black from Michigan just because he was Ooh, so special. But one. even him, like he's already a kind of well-known guy. So I don't, I think coming back from injury, we could say that he could come out of nowhere, I guess, and have a very good season, almost like a breakout season because of the injuries. But even he was a very highly recruited guy and a lot of people already know who he is. Dan Alter is wondering, give me some realistic expectations for Ryan Day's first season as a head coach. I think he's going to be good, but I'm weary of a first time head coach. The thing with like the way Oklahoma and Ohio State's doing this now, I actually am really on board with bringing in a guy that's already in-house. Replacing Urban Meyer with Ryan Day, I think it's a great move because you're not going to lose recruits. You're not going to lose a lot of guys to transfers because they already know him. They have a relationship there. And I think that Ryan Day is going to continue it. And we already predicted this kind of. We both think that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten. And I think they will win it pretty easily. I think they will roll right over Michigan again this year. So Ryan Day is going to be very successful in his first season. It's hard for me to pick against Ohio State when the biggest team in their way is probably Michigan and their quarterback is Shea Patterson. That's my issue. (laughs) Right, yeah. Sorry, Dan Barnes. I mean, I'm sorry. And Michigan's got plenty of talent, plenty of talent, and obviously a good head head coach and staff there themselves. But... I think Ryan Day is going to be really good, really, really good. Anybody that's ever worked with him loves him. He's a really bright, you know, bright guy that'll help the offense. And like Mello said, they got enough pieces on defense where if Ryan Day gets this thing going with Justin Fields, I don't really know what you have to worry about. You got J.K. Dobbins there. They have receivers. I just I don't have the concerns about him being a first time head coach because he's kind of been the guy. Lately. Yeah, I mean, and, he coached the yeah, first right? four like, games of last year, yeah. and they didn't miss a beat. I really think that he's responsible for bringing Dwayne Haskins along. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never seen Urban Meyer develop a passing quarterback before, and I'll give I, a lot of that credit to Dwayne Haskins, but I think a lot of it goes to Ryan Day as well. I think when we look at uh, guys that are taking over as head coaches that are already on a staff, I think the most important thing to ask is, what do they do right now? Do they do enough where the transition will be kind of small? And Day, like Lincoln Riley did, was doing all that stuff already. It's not really this jump where you're like, you're just rolling the dice on a guy that is so unproven. I I don't really see an unproven guy in Ryan Day. So, uh, yeah, I'm not concerned. And I think Ohio State's going to be really good. Yeah, I mean, I think at minimum they win 10 games this year. So Pat Chamberlain, a guy trying to be listener of the year here, with 2020 looking to be such a loaded class at the skill positions, who are some skill position guys who may get pushed down into day two, even though they might have a day one grade? Guys, if they were in a less loaded class. So for me, you have to start off by looking at these running backs because historically, not a lot of them get drafted very high. And I think Travis Etienne, Connor's guy, is probably the only one who's got a real chance at being drafted in the first round. You talk about guys like uh, J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. Look at Jonathan Taylor. I think they could get pushed down, even though they are very good running backs. 
I think so too. Keyshawn Vaughn. I actually yeah. thought he should have declared this year just because of that exact scenario. I mean, I know he he could have gone in the second round this year, and I'm never gonna crush a guy for making a decision to stay. I mean, it's it's all personal matters. But I think when you look at Vaughn, I think he's a really, really special big play threat. And I would put a lot of money on him being a day two prospect next year because of that. <laughs> Wide receivers interesting because you go across the board and you wonder, you know, you look at the Michigan guys over there. R- Rugs is fascinating. Like mm-hmm. Melo, at some point, like somebody has to fall into the second round and not every team is going to take a wide receiver in the first round. Yeah. I mean, look at what we saw this year. I think we're going to see that trend a lot more where only two receivers go in the first round, one of them at 32. And if you have a lot of talent at a position, I think that hurts your value. Unless one of these guys, you know, like a Jerry Judy goes top five and then maybe we see a run on receivers. But I I definitely think you're right. I think linebackers, another pretty talented group this year, and they could be pushed down just because, you know, Dylan Moses is going to be pushed down because all of the skill position players, all the running backs and the receivers, if we see them go early, then some other position is going to be affected. And it could be, you know, guys like an Isaiah Simmons and some of these other linebackers that are still hanging around. All right, everyone, that's our show. Thanks so much for hanging out with Mello and I. And another shout out to Mello and all the teachers out there during Teachers Appreciation Week. We had a lot of fun, even without Matt, but fuck them, right? Just kidding, Matt. We love you. We miss you. And, of course, uh, we'll be back next Monday. Keep sending those draft-on-draft questions our way. You know, what players you want to hear about, what you're wondering, how to spend your offseason as we wait for training camp. And we can't wait. We'll catch you next week.